Chilek Tezvav, Volume 15, the fourth Sikha for Parshas Vayeshev, also the Sikha for Hanukkah. This Sikha will explain the connection between Torah and water, why the Torah is compared to water, and how this all connects to Hanukkah. So let's just take a few moments to familiarize ourselves with some concepts. Number one, we know that the Torah is compared to water. And the Chazal explained in what way is it likened to water metaphorically? Because, quote, just like water comes from a very high place and it goes down to the lowest levels, so too the Torah, which is Hashem's Chachma, Hashem's wisdom, it came from the highest of places and it comes down and it becomes part of a person's intellect. And in fact, the Torah discusses matters which are of the lowliest of natures. So another thing, however, we do find that the Torah sometimes is compared to, let's say, bread, wine, oil, and each one of these metaphors has a specific reason why the Torah is compared to it. For example, bread is something that you absorb, something that becomes absorbed in the body. It gives the body nutrients. It gives it life. So too, the Torah becomes, so to speak, part of the person, becomes absorbed in the person, and gives the person, of course, a spiritual life. Another thing to familiarize ourselves with is the difference between Torah Shebiksav and Torah Shebaalpeh. We know that when it comes to Torah Shebiksav, the written Torah, one could actually fulfill their obligation, at least on a basic level, of, quote, learning Torah by just reciting words of Torah. For example, words of the Chumash, words of the Tehillim, and so on. However, when it comes to Torah Shebaalpeh, it's insufficient. One is not considered to have fulfill the mitzvah if one just uh, if one just recites words of Torah. In fact, one needs to understand it. One needs to comprehend it. One needs to endeavor to understand what they're learning. Otherwise, they didn't fulfill the mitzvah. Case in point, if somebody makes the birchas Torah, which we do every day, the blessings over the Torah, and which is like any other blessings over a mitzvah, which needs to be attached to the actual fulfillment of that particular mitzvah, which you just blessed. What happens if somebody should make the bracha and then go ahead and recite an entire page of Talmud without understanding a word, without comprehending what they're saying? Then they have not fulfilled their um, mitzvah of limud Torah, of learning Torah. And in fact, that bracha would be considered a bracha levatola, a blessing in vain. Another thing to familiarize ourselves with the Gemara describes dreams. The Gemara tells us that there are certain dreams that a person would typically would never have. Why? Because typically a dream kind of builds around or is a reflection of what a person may have thought of. Something that is absolutely detached from reality, meaning a person would never even think of it, not even in passing, therefore it's impossible for a person to uh, dream about it. And that example that the Talmud gives is Pila Bekupa Damachta, a elephant going through the hole of a sewing needle, which obviously is just impossible. So it's something that a person wouldn't even think about, wouldn't even fantasize about, and therefore it would never come up in someone's dreams. And this is used as a classical term of describing something of impossible. One more thing to familiarize ourselves with, there's a concept in Halacha, of Tuma Hutcha Betzibur, that if the entire congregation 
or something, a matter that's pertaining to the entire congregation, it finds itself in a situation of Tumah, then the rules of Tumah and Tara get pushed aside, meaning the power of the congregation is so powerful that you're allowed to fulfill that particular function, whatever it may be, even if it's being done in a manner of Tumah. Okay, just as an example, if a, if, um, a majority of Kalal Yisrael is Tameh, you still would offer the carbon Pesach. Let's go into the Sikha. So on the Pesach in our Parsha, it describes that, Moshe, uh, that Yosef was thrown into the pit. So the Torah describes, it says, the pit was Vahaboy Reik. It was empty. And then the Pesach continues, Ein Boy Mayim. It didn't have water. So of course we find in the Gemara. Now where does the Gemara discuss it? In the Sugya, in the topic where the Gemara discusses the laws and matters of Hanukkah. Anyway, the Gemara says over there, Omar Afkana, Afkana said, Dorash Rav bar Menyumi. That Rav the son of Menyumi, he darshaned, Mishmei the Rabbi Tamchun, in the name of Rabbi Tamchun, that when it says, Vahaboy Reik, don't we already understand that if it's empty, it has nothing. Empty means empty. It's void of anything. So of course it doesn't have water. So why would the Torah need to emphasize and add and tell us that it doesn't have water? Because it's trying to tell us that when, when, when he say it's empty, it means that it's empty from water. But however, snakes and scorpions, that indeed it did have. That means when it says it's empty, it's, it, it's qualifying. That it's not empty from everything, but it's only empty from water. Now, simply speaking, the fact that the Gemara brings this explanation, meaning the explanation on this particular verse, in the subject where it's in the matter with the, with the subject where it discusses, discusses Hanukkah, in the subject of Hanukkah, where it's discussing the rules of Hanukkah, seems to be the obvious reason is because this is another saying of exactly the same personalities. It starts with Rav Kana said that Rabbi Nosson bar Menyumi Darshan in the name of Tanakh. That seems to be the reason which we find quite often in the Talmud. However, as discussed quite often, everything in the Torah is exact. Everything in the Torah is with ultimate precision. And therefore, it's not possible that the Torah, that the Gemara would quote this, so to speak, randomly and out of context, just because it's the same rabbis who said it. In other words, there has to be something deeper. There has to be a much deeper connection between these two uh, matters, between Hanukkah and the explanation of this verse. Especially considering, says the Rebbe, that the Shalah HaKadosh, in the beginning of our Parsha, Parsha's Vayeshev, he declares that Vayeshev, Miketz, and Vayigash, these three Parshas, they have an inherent connection to Hanukkah. So there must be a connection between this verse, which appears in this Parsha, and Hanukkah, especially considering that we see it already evident through the Gemara, that the Gemara brings it together. Says the Rebbe, Chazal tell us that what does it mean when we say water? Typically, the word water is a euphemism for Torah. Ein mayim Torah. And especially considering in this verse, where there is actually a medrash that says, what does it mean, v'haboyr reik, ein boy mayim, avon that says the medrash, that Yaakov's boyr, Metaphorically speaking, his pit, his his reservoir became depleted. It became empty. And what does it mean it has no water? There was no Torah here. What is the idea of it? 
that when one is depleted, when one is void of Torah, automatically the result is that there are negative elements playing a role. That means if you're void of Mayim, if it becomes depleted, there's aim by Torah, that means it's not just that it's void of Torah, but automatically it becomes a place where the negative, things that oppose Kedusha, start to fester. And this is actually, says the Rebbe, reminiscent of the Pirush of the Baal Shem Tov on a Pasuk which we say every day in Kriya Shema. We say that Visartem va'avadatem. Visartem means you're going to turn away. Va'avadatem you're going to worship other gods. Avodah Says the Baal Shem Tov that this could be read the following manner. Visartem. That if you turn away from Hashem, then automatically va'avadatem you're going to be worshiping Avodah explains when a person removes himself from his connection to Hashem, miyad, immediately he is There's nothing in between. There's no intermediate level. It's automatically you turn away from Hashem. Automatically you're worshiping idols, so to speak. So the question is, it would seem that okay, the Balshemtiv's explanation, the seems to make sense. But why is it? That when you say that it doesn't have water, all you did is you don't have Torah. Why does that also make it so? In other words, why is that an imperative that automatically it's full of Nechashim Vakrabim, that is full of snakes and scorpions, which is a metaphor, which is a euphemism for things that negate and are against godliness. Moreover, if we really think about it, according to many of the commentaries, the brothers of Yosef acted, quote, according to Allah, according to Torah. In fact, they were convinced that according to Torah, Yosef deserves to be put to death. Why? Because they felt that he was an instigator and that he was conspiring to get them into trouble to the point to get them killed. And the law is, if someone try, is trying to get you killed, you could preempt, not only you could, you should preempt to protect yourself and, uh, and kill him for self-defense. So the question is, why are we saying that Yaakov's, quote, Yaakov's boy, Yaakov's reservoir was depleted, there was no toida, and that's why it was full of snakes and scorpions. Just to repeat the questions. Number one, what, what's the imperative to say that if there's no Torah, automatically you are, so to speak, against Hashem. You are like worshipping idols. There's snakes and scorpions. And number two, how can we say this about the brothers of Yosef who felt like they acted and they in fact did act according to what they understood to be the law of the Torah. So the Rebbe says, we'll understand this by first prefacing the reason that the Chazal made this comparison between water and Torah. The Chazal tell us, because we do find that the Torah is also compared to bread, to water, to oil, to other things. What is the idea? What is the, the and each one, so to speak, brings out an aspect or a, a characteristic of Torah. What is the idea that the Torah is compared specifically to water, and especially as we see it here? So in the Gemara Tainus, the Gemara says that just like water go, comes down from high, from on high, to the lowest, so too the Torah could only connect to somebody who humbles himself, who makes himself low. 
And according to this, we can understand already. We can begin to understand what does this mean that Yaakov's reservoir, Yaakov's bar, was emptied and it was void of Mayim of Torah? Because yes, indeed, they came to the conclusion according to Halacha, as they saw it, that Yosef deserves to be put to death. But in 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 um, in in proportion to their level that they were on, they should have been more humble. In other words, they lacked the true connection to Torah, and therefore it's considered like they didn't have Torah. And therefore, you can say that quote Yaakov's reservoir, Yaakov's bar, his cistern, is depleted, is void of Torah. Because, and then automatically, of course, if once it's devoid of Torah, what happens? Then there are snakes and scorpions, there are negative elements. What's the explanation of this? How do we understand this? You see, what is really the idea of learning Torah? What, is, what are we supposed to achieve? What are we supposed to accomplish by learning Torah? The idea is that we're supposed to connect, we're supposed to cleave to the quote, the giver of the Torah. And in fact, therefore, it's fundamentally imperative as a condition, as a prerequisite, that there should be absolute bitul. A person should feel himself humble and lowly before Hashem. Why is that? Because if you think about it, inherently, a human being, by nature, by design, is a finite being. And therefore, how could he com- connect to something that's infinite, beyond infinite, to Hashem himself? The only way to do it is, when you, quote, go out of yourself, then you break away that finite boundary, so to speak, that, and you're able to somehow connect now to the infinite. And this actually helps us understand something which we recite at least three times a day, on a typical day, at the end of Shemona Esri. We say, That my soul, meaning my whole being, should be like dust to everyone, meaning I should be absolutely humble, open my heart in the Torah. That means you see there's a connection between the two. By me being absolutely humble, then I can have an expectation and a prayer that Hashem should connect me to the Torah. Why is that? If you think about it, it would actually seem not to make sense. Because what is Torah? Torah is something which you need to engage your intellect. In other words, you have to be you. You have to be your and have your intellectual presence, which is really essentially the greatest aspect of who we are as humans. Being, quote, like dust, being so humble, actually negates this. The answer is because what we're looking for is not psach libi b'toyra. Not we're not asking Hashem to open our hearts in Torah just in the comprehension of Torah, but to open our hearts in the comprehension of your Torah, meaning to be connected to you through the Torah, not just to understand Torah and learn it as a subject, but rather to be connected to Hashem, because it's the the objective is to be connected to Hashem through the Torah. Torah secha. Therefore, you need to have the prerequisite of nafshika afalakotiya. And this will help us understand another thing, very interesting thing in the mitzvah of learning Torah. The, the rule is that, quote, if somebody just thinks in their heart, in their mind, words of Torah, they don't have to make the birchas Torah. Let's say, for example, you wake up in the morning, you haven't yet even uh, had a chance to say the brachas, you didn't say birchas Torah, you, you can think words of Torah. But the moment that you want to utter words of Torah, you want to verbally recite words of Torah, then you need to actually make 
the birchas You cannot do so because the rule is hirhur lav kedibodami. Just thinking is not like speaking the words of Torah. And in fact, we find in Chazal that they um, they give special praise to one who learns Torah verbally, one who actually recites the words of Torah, not just contemplates the ideas and the thoughts and the logic in their mind, but rather discusses it in their mouth. That's why when you come to a yeshiva, you hear a hum, you hear a koil Torah, because that's what's imperative, that's what's important, that you speak the words of Torah with your mouth, and only then could you make the berachas Torah. The question is, as we said in the introduction, when it comes to Torah Shabbal Peh, What's really crucial, what's vital, is that one understands. Because if one just utters the words and doesn't understand what they're reading, what they're saying, it doesn't have at all the, the, the quality of limit ha It's not considered limit ha So why is it that we make such a big deal out of reciting it? In other words, why shouldn't it be sufficient to just think about the ideas, to contemplate it in our minds, to, so to speak, discuss it, but within our thoughts, why do we need to utter the words? And only then can you make a bracha. And only then do the chazal tell you, wow, you did the job of learning Torah. The answer is, because if one just uses their intellect, one just engages their seichu, then it's kind of like, you are you. This is your mitzvah. This is you, who you are. However, and then it's possible that he won't be able to connect to the Torah. However, when you want to absorb, you want to connect to the Torah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and we know that the idea that there's certain things that are just impossible. Within the physical, finite realm, it's impossible that there should be that, a, that, a, that, a, that a, um, an elephant should be able to pass through the hole of a, of, a, of a sewing needle. That's impossible to the extent that you'll never dream about. How much more so that the true infinite level that there is, the ultimate infinite level, Hashem himself cannot in any way be absorbed and be, so to speak, contained within a human being who is absolutely finite. That's why if it's you who's thinking the Torah, it's just you. In other words, you are you. You are using your brain. You're using your faculties, so to speak, in order to connect to Hashem, that's why you can't connect, by just thinking the words of Torah. However, when you connect to Hashem by being mevatel yourself, which means you're breaking away all your finite limitations, how do you do it? By speaking it with your mouth, by verbalizing it, which is a simple act, or and by making it permeate, like it says in the Gemara, all your amachevarim, which is obviously lower than seichel, lower than the, quote, the real you, then your mevatel the gvul, your mevatel the finite boundaries, the finite limitations, and therefore it allows you to now, quote, become connected and absorb godliness through his Torah. And now we can understand better what this statement means. Since the whole purpose of Torah is not just to the intellectual understanding of Torah, the comprehension of Torah, but rather, like we explained, to be connected to Hashem, the noise in Torah. Therefore, if you are connected to Hashem, I'm sorry, if you're not connected to the Torah, meaning you're not connected to Hashem, the noise in Torah, because you're lacking bittel, then automatically, you know, you're full of yourself, automatically, there's going to be an Hashem v'akrabim. And this is what the Medrash means, that, quote, 
the boy of Yaakov was depleted. The cistern, the reservoir of Yaakov was depleted because there was no Torah. Of course they had Torah, but since in relation to their level that they were on, it was expected them to have a higher level of Bittu, thus a higher level of connection to Hashem, and they didn't have it, therefore it's considered as if they didn't have Torah, and therefore, yes, it was depleted. It says that ever all the stories in our Parsha are really all an introduction to the giving of the Torah. Because really here begins the whole story where Yosef ends up in Mitzrayim and then the enslavement of Mitzrayim, then the redemption from Mitzrayim, the exodus, and then, which the purpose of it all is, Matan Torah. And, of course, as this Pasuk itself, when this Pasuk says that if you don't have true connection to the Torah, then you unfortunately, you, you do have, if you're void of Torah, then you have the Chashar Krabim. says that ever really, this is speaking about more, not about their time, but about the time of, of Matan Torah. Why? Because the difference between pre-Matan Torah and post-Matan Torah means the Torah of the Abbas and the Torah that we have after Matan is that the Torah of the Abbas was all in relation to their level of comprehension. In other words, it wasn't yet, quote, given by Hashem. Meaning, it was something that they were able to receive on their own, they were able to connect to, so obviously it was within limit. There were limitations to it. As much as a human being, albeit a human being like Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, but still human beings, are able to reach, are able to achieve. However, after Matan Teda, it all changed. Because Hashem gave us, as we say, Torah His Teda. He gave us His Teda as it is connected to him. Now, how is it possible? How can we connect to something so lofty, so great, so beyond? Because Hashem, he's able to do the impossible. Hashem is the master of it all. And therefore, when he gives us the Torah, he makes the impossible possible. And that's why by us being bottled to him, that's how we're able to connect to him through the Torah. In other words, we can't do it on our own. We're not able to. How, there's no way we can do it on our own. And that's why Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov and the Shvatim were also not able to do it on their own. But we are able to do it now, not because we're greater than them, but because Hashem, quote, gave it to us. He made it possible. Now we can appreciate the connection between all this. This Pasuk, which is discussed in the Sugya of Hanukkah in the Gemara of Shabbos, to the idea of Hanukkah. How do these two intersect? How do they connect? What did the Yevonim, what did the Assyrian Greeks want? What, what was their problem? What was their beef with, with the Jews? What was, what was the reason that they made all the trouble? We say it in the Alanism. We say that they wanted to They wanted to make them forget. They wanted to make the Jews forget. Your Torah. Why does it say Torah Secha? Torah. Do you know of any other Torah? Why the emphasis of Torah Secha? So it's explained that they really had no problem with the intellectual slash cultural aspect of Torah. In fact, they were like, they were in favor of it. Learn Torah, it's, fa- it's fascinating. It's an amazing, uh, amazing cultural thing and an amazing intellectual endeavor. The issue they had was Torah secha, that it was Hashem's Torah, that a Yid learns Torah not because it makes sense and not because it's intellectually stimulating, but because it connects him to Hashem. Where do we see an expression of it? What did they do? They went about contaminating the oil. Notice, they didn't take the oil away. They didn't say, you don't have to lie to the They didn't confiscate the oil. 
Rather, what they did is they said, come on, what's the difference? You touched it, I touched it, you touched it. It's connected to Hashem, it's not connected to Hashem. It is Kodesh, it's not Kodesh. There's no big deal, there's no big difference. Don't make a big deal out of that. Rather, you want to light candles? It's a beautiful thing. Light up the world. Bring light to the world. Bring light to society. It's a beautiful cultural thing. But to do it because it's a holy matter, that they had a problem with. Where do we see Hashem's response? That He made the miracle come about, and that's how we celebrate it? That is the symbol of the celebration, dafka through the union of oil. Because he wanted to show that this is really the core of it all. Now think about it. The truth is that according to Halacha, as we explained in the introduction, that means that even if they were not, have not, would not have found any um, pure oil, they could have used the oil that was there available even if it was impure, even if it was Tommy. Why? Because since we're deal- dealing with a tzibur, this is a congregational thing, that they have to collectively all together light the menorah. Therefore, we know that there's an exemption. If, it's, if there's no, nothing to her available, you use the Tumah. But yet Hashem went, so to speak, above and beyond. And, to, 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 and this is to, to communicate a, a point that it's all about that purity, that connection to Hashem, that's what all, it's not about lighting the menorah, it's about lighting the Shem and HaTorah. It's not about learning Torah, it's about learning Torah, Secha, your Torah. And therefore, what do we see? The Gemara says that when we light, in that very same sugya, that when do you light the candles? You light the candles when it gets dark. Ad the kal regla the tarmadoi, until there's no longer the, Literally, the foot of the Tarmadoya. Tarmadoya was a nation, but with, but the Rebbe always emphasized that the word tar, Tarmud has the same letters of the word Muredes, which is somebody who goes against Hashem. That means being insistent and having this bitl and therefore connecting to Torah Secha, being insistent and lighting Dafka, the pure oil, to have that utmost connection to Hashem, this brings about that we're able to totally annihilate, totally do away with anything and everything that negates uh, uh, godliness, the tar- which is represented and, and, and symbolic in the word Tarmadoi, those who are Moiradis.